Hello, coffee shop conversation fans. Welcome to World Cup Coffee and Tea at Northwest 18th and Gleason. I'm Tom D'Antoni, the apostrophe capital A-N-T-O-N-I, editor of Oregon Music News. Lloyd Jones is with me this week. As I'm sure you know, Lloyd has been a huge part of the blues and soul scene in Oregon for longer than he cares to remember. And he's got stories about everybody. He's on his way to Europe for a tour, but before he goes, he came in to talk to us. Coming up in the next few weeks, Lisa Mann, who just won a Blues Music Award for the Best Bass Player. The following week will be off because of the Safeway Waterfront Blues Festival. Then we'll pick up again with the great bassist Damian Erskine. And then the following week will be Darka Dusty, known for her Ukrainian songs and for being one of the founders of the Volva Underground. Let's talk with Lloyd-Jones, shall we? What time do we start? What key we in? I'm ready. You asking me what key we're in? <laughs> so we, we are. Uh, oh, we're rolling. Well, all right. Uphill or downhill? How you doing? I'm doing really good. Yeah. 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 I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, it's you know the world keeps changing, and then uh, that's good. So, well, it's different. And different is good. I'll put it like that. I guess you got to go find the good. Sometimes you got to dig under some other rocks, but it keeps you moving. <laughs> <laughs> well, the important part is to keep moving. That is the important part. Yeah, and learning new ointments. So ointments to keep moving. At my age, <laughs> I just discovered a new one. I don't even know if it has a name yet, but it, it's the only thing. It actually worked. I went, man, what is this? And so last night. I got a little container of it, and it's my shoulders and thumbs. Thumbs are cramping up a little bit, and uh, it's great. Congratulations. <laughs> I told you it was exciting. <laughs> Does it help you play? Yeah. Yeah, it was, the thumbs were locking up for some reason this last year. and uh, just uh, I don't know if it's arthritic or what, but I'm trying different ointments, you know. So you think it's going to work? Well, I can't wait to get home, and I've only tried it once, and it was great. So oh. it's to get me some of that, and we'll see. How do you compensate for that? I've tried all kinds of things where I want to point my thumb in a certain angle, and it clicks, and then it stops hurting. But I have to keep it at that angle, and uh, you know, it just playing. You know, the thing this nobody can tell that. You know. What? When you play, nobody can tell that no. there's anything going on. No, it's usually one stabbing pain, and then I'm over it, and then it, you know, because I made a movement, or I'll stop playing and sing more. The now uh, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> you were about to say something. I, it it seemed like I was. Um, That's okay. Well, just that the natural changes in life that take you where you didn't expect to go, and then you go. Oh, I needed that. That's good. That's good. Okay, all right. You know, it makes change your technique, makes you uh, think of other ways to handle situations. And, oh, yeah. And thereby, yeah. you know, I'm playing with different groups of people in different situations that I never would have thought I was going to do. Uh, and I like it. Well, good. Yeah. Yeah. I had Mary Flower in here uh, oh, good. a few weeks ago. Uh, the day after she sat in for you. Man, is, it, is she great or what? Yeah. 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 
She'll come in one night, and I'm just a fan of hers. I uh, just stumbled into her music. I read just on the back of a CD. I went, that's – what? She lives here? She, she can play Piedmont style? What? So I just bought it. I loved it. I tracked her down. Loved hearing her play. Then one night she comes in, and we got a band playing, and I thought she just played Piedmont acoustic picking. Yeah. And she shows up. looks like a machine gun case, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, she's got a lap steel in there. Lap steel. Oh, yeah. Tore the place apart. Just plugged into my amp along with no special anything, and she's just got soul and timing and her choice and notes and things. Uh, so it's a, just another one of those unexpected joys that surprise you, and you go, you know, I like the surprises. She's great. You were in Hawaii. How'd you find out? <laughs> I heard. I checked with the police. Yeah. <laughs> well, everyone should go to Hawaii once in a while. I checked with your parole officer. It was raining. That's what it was. In Hawaii? No, here I had to leave. Oh. What did you do in Hawaii? Absolutely nothing. Oh, nice. I was acting like I was 12. <laughs> my brother used to live in Kona and uh, loved it over there. And huh? and my wife found this. She'd go online and find deals and places and things in, in Kona, right there on the beach. Well, we'll check it out. And uh, just went there for a week to check it out because it was really affordable. And uh, it's, it's unbelievable. It's right on the water. There's turtles kind of hanging in your backyard there. And the, and you can walk to everything. And it's a little down home field, Dakota, and this and that. So we just went, you know, if we put 20 bucks a week away, this envelope, <laughs> every week for the next year, well, we could do that again. So we really planned it out, and we did it again. And now we want to stay longer because it takes a couple of days to wind down yeah. and all that. And it's just great. You take a guitar? I did. It's the second time I've taken a guitar and I didn't touch it. Really? I couldn't believe it either. Wow. We were busy exploring and, you know, uh -huh. <laughs> giving my thumbs a chance to rest. And yeah. uh, I really got away from it all. And sometimes that perspective makes you see not in such habits anymore. Uh -huh. You know, it really helps get away from it a little bit. So I try to do other things too. I'll book, I'll book gigs and then I'll book time away. Uh -huh. <laughs> and it helps. That's why I got a boat. Yeah, it also makes me feel twelve. When you have when you have the wind and the, the rudder with the tiller, you've got you're, you're feeling the water, and you've got the the sheet in your hand for the sail, and you've got all these elements at play: the current, boat going through the water, the angle of the wind, the velocity of the wind, all that stuff, and you're balancing it and guiding it and that. You just feel connected. To life and earth and all that we are, and it's just is. It's not heavy. It's not deep. It's just yeah. you just get it. It just is. So there's no motor involved, and that that's right up there with picking. <laughs> <laughs> Does your boat have a name? It came with a name. It's not. Uh, I had one years ago named Seaweed that I named and, and liked uh, the name. This came with a name painted on the side, so I just left it alone. It's called Peregrine, but I, I you know, it was just there. It wasn't. Devised by me. This is not like Titanic or something. I did have a tiny boat yeah. that I found as a wreck in Friday Harbor, uh, half full of water, windows broken out, mm -hmm. and and it was tilted to one side, and half the name was underwater. It said Titanic. <laughs> and I just, that boat I fell in love with, and I tracked down the guy. It was, I went up to the restroom up in Friday Harbor, and it said for sale. Yeah. And we're really, so I found him, and I just bought it. You bought the Titanic. I put it on my visa, and I had to have it. And I went back up there, put it on a trailer, drug it home, did all kinds of stuff to it, fussed with it for years. And uh, 
And I love it. It's, it's actually for sale. I saw it on Craigslist. <laughs> Just this last week, yeah. The same, what, the same, same boat? Same boat, yeah. Did you ever get it in the water? Oh, I sail it a lot. I sail it. Oh, I took it up to Hood River and, and sailed it in some really serious wind. That's how I found out how seaworthy it was. Wow. It had a little cabin on it and everything. It was only 14 feet. Uh-huh. But it was hard chine, which is a, a flat side. And uh, it designed by this guy in the 30s in the North Sea in uh, England. And he he said, I'll bring you, I'll deliver the boat to anybody who wants to buy one. And the first guy who bought it was across the North Sea, and he had to sail up there. And so it had this reputation of being seaworthy. But I've taken it down to Newport and uh, a lot of uh, lakes up in the mountains and so many places. I thought that boat's been more places than all the other boats I've had. <laughs> it really worked out on that thing. And you never once ran into an iceberg. Not yet. And I, you know, I'm a fair weather sailor. I don't go out there and just challenge the big elements. The big elements are really serious. You want to go out in the ocean, you better think about what you're doing. Get some experience. Yeah. Not a lot of icebergs around here anyway. No. No, it's pretty easy to stay away from. <laughs> they could have taken another route. They could have. They could have. Or if they'd answered their email, the guy was trying to tell them, this iceberg don't go to that area. Was it, was that around the time the movie was out? Did you have that boat then? No, <laughs> no. I'm trying to think when I got that boat. Probably the good thing because you might have been you might have been tempted to sing Celine Dion. No, we're safe there. <laughs> we're safe there. No, I would I wouldn't wish that on anyone. <laughs> oh man! So you got a big summer coming up, don't you? You know, it's really taking shape nicely, and I I'm almost. At all at this stage of the game for me that uh, it's even more fun and, and opportunities coming up because you think, you know, they want to hear the young kids blazing. They don't want to hear somebody's been around a while, been there, done that, all that. But um surprised. You know, the, talking about the changes, that's what we were talking about. Um, for for some doors that have closed, other doors that have opened, the Internet has killed live music in a nightclub. That stuff just that's where I grew up with it. Yeah. So what do you do? Well, you can reach through the internet other places. So I'm getting to go to uh, through the internet. A band in Denmark sent me an email and said, "Would you want to go to Denmark?" I said, "Plane ticket and deposit, and we're there." Well, they were right on top of it. Um, they sent me what I wanted. I sent them charts. They have horn section like what I use and. Uh, Turned out to be the nicest people I've ever been around. They work really hard. They know what they're doing. And this is this will be my sixth year going to Europe and working with these fellows. And I really look forward to it. I'll do the first two weeks of July. Go to uh, we'll start in Denmark, and usually we go to Sweden, Norway, and North like that. This time, for the first time, I'm going to Holland and Germany, going more south. So I like the new territory there. Yeah. And yay. You know, so we're gonna miss you. We're gonna miss that white suit at the at the blues festival this year. I'm gonna give everybody a break this year. You know, yeah. let the other let the other kids have a chance. I've got a lot of chance. Miss you in that booth. Yeah, I'll be back. I love. You know, it's a great festival. We're, we have good reason to be proud of the, of the Waterfront Blues Festival. Just, I have to say, uh, Peter Damon, who books the music and so on, is a really good player himself. And it's got a slow burning fuse. I would that's the most stressful job I could imagine. Oh, he's Mr. Cool. He knows what he's doing, he yeah. handles it. 
so well that we I think a lot of the success is the people involved in running it and the food bank involved so it's grown and grown and grown and it may go beyond the blues festival to just a, a music festival I think that's good too so do you know where in Holland and Germany you're gonna be yet uh, they're on my website the dates I can't spell a lot of them uh, yes. or say them yeah, very well I, we are gonna be in Copenhagen and Oh, what is the uh, Luxembourg? Yeah, those are a couple I know of that I can say I can pronounce. Good. Good. And Esbjerg uh, is usually where home base is. It's a little hotel that I really where Esbjerg. What's that? Esbjerg is in uh, it's the third largest city in Denmark. Okay, it's a really pretty city, as is Denmark, and uh, that'll be home base. It's a performing arts center called Tobacan that two of the band members work at. So they're good at booking people from all over the world at Tobacan and communicating outside of the area. So it helps to have people that are good at that business. So you sent charts. Do you write your own charts? No. Glenn Holstrom, the keyboard player, has been with me 30 years. Yeah. And he's really, really special arranger. Even people that are good arrangers would rather have Glenn Holstrom chart because uh -huh. his voicings and the way they aren't parallel and clumsy. They're, you know, the voicings are inside and, yeah. and smooth. And he'll make a chord imply bigger. So he'll put intervals farther away from each other that even if I only have two horns, he'll have key intervals and notes that identify the chord and give it movement with only a couple of notes that you just go, how did he make that chord sound so huge? And he'll say, well, a lot of those notes are in the piano, a lot of them are in the guitar, yeah. so I'm going to highlight here and take the movement this direction. And it's so smart that I still always have him do it. So I'll have him, he'll arrange for four horns on the recording and then rearrange it for two horns for the traveling band. Yeah. So I send them the trumpet tenor parts. Yeah. And these guys uh, play in the school system in Denmark. They, <laughs> this is one of those countries where they actually support music and the arts. So they make a living in the school systems playing. And they like getting out of that system to do these gigs. Mm -hmm. But they're really good readers, really soulful players. And I love working with these cats. It's fun. I got to, Two years ago, I got to work with Duke Robillard's band because he got picked up by Bob Dylan. Yeah. And uh, Curtis Salgado called me and said, you know, you want to go back east? You want to call this guy? Okay. And uh, he's friends with Duke and, and had done the same thing. So I went with Duke's band and did about seven dates. And again, it's what I'm saying about these changes in the way yeah. I exist now. I learned a lot. I was there when the Boston was bombed. We played blocks from that bombing the night before. Did that interview with you? Yeah. You played that too? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. But uh, those, I guess I like the adventure of those things. And you learn playing with different players who phrase differently, think differently. Yeah. And you go, oh. And you automatically react and you'll find yourself playing the same song a little different going, oh, thanks. I wouldn't, I'm not used to doing it that way, but I like it. So. But the one thing that hasn't changed is you playing with Perla Salgado. Yeah, that's just when a joy. When did that start? Again, we're like 12-year-old kids. Well, I didn't realize how early it had started. Uh, Robert Cray told me, and Curtis told me later, um, I had a band called Brown Sugar in 1970 that had Paul DeLay on harmonica. He was a 17-year-old kid when I hired him for that. And Jim Meese 
Actually, Jim Macy and Al Cousin were the guitar player, bass player, and they were the heart of a band called Moxie that my brother was in. And that got reconfigured and then renamed by a different harmonica player, Rick Aldrich, who has since passed away. But he named Brown Sugar, and it was a quartet, harmonica, guitar, bass, and I played drums. And it was a very powerful quartet, and not a lot of people, you know, white audiences were just learning about blues. Right. So this was a new thing. And those guys could, had done their homework. They could play. So we got called to back a lot of people. And uh, we were backing Charlie Musselwhite and played a festival in Eugene. Yeah. And there were two kids that were like sophomores in high school and went yeah. to their first blues concert. Uh, was Robert Cray and Curtis Salgado. Oh, jeez. But they really listened. Even as kids, they were listening to detail and depth of more than like grown-ups do. Because yeah. I heard later... We were doing really well and playing a place called the Purple Earth in Portland, which is the big venue in the day. And Dover, who was back playing with uh, yeah, Dover Weinberg, who's back playing with Robert now, came to me and said, came to my sax player and said, um, "Could you get us a gig at the Purple Earth?" And it was a cassette. It was Robert Cray, and uh, I popped it in the car. You know, listen to the cassette, and it sounded like Stax Band. Yeah. And the guitar player, singer Robert Cray, sounded to me like like uh, Sam Cooke and Freddie King together. I mean, wow. the smoothness of Sam Cooke's voice and Freddie King's grit yeah. in the guitar. And I went, "Wow, this is good. This is not kids with a band. This is serious, grown-up, major league, compete with anybody on any level music." So I went to Jose at the Purple Earth, and he said, "I never heard of him." I said, "Well, you should." And I stayed on him and stayed on him, and, and they got the gig. But I didn't know any of that. And later on, Robert, uh, I don't know if Curtis told me or Robert said, you know, uh, you were responsible for helping us here and there. I went, well, cool. <laughs> I said, because I went and saw them open for uh, Tower of Power. And, was Curtis in that band? Well, yeah. When I first saw Robert, it was uh, Robert and Curtis together. Yeah. And uh, took turns singing. Curtis would play harmonica. I mean, there was so much talent going on there. And then uh, they were opening for Albert King, and then I saw him open for Tower of Power, and Warren Rand was playing alto, who plays with me now. Um, and I just remember thinking, man, he's going to stand the test of time. I, Robert just stood out like a light to me. And there's certain people, you know, Bonnie Raitt, him, that took off, and I went, this world is good. <laughs> you know? They were great, right out the right out the gate, and so we, our paths had crossed. And then finally, Curtis came to me when he left. Robert uh, wanted to go on his own; didn't want to have two singers. And uh, Curtis came to me and told me this: that uh, he and Paul had become friends, and said we should put a band together. And I said, you know, I, I'm back playing drums. I'm not playing that much guitar, but uh, my brother's got a New Year's Eve gig and he can't do, and I don't really have a band. He said, well, I got some fellas in Eugene. Let's do it. So our first time playing together yeah. was New Year's Eve in in uh, Band, Oregon. <laughs> this guy comes up while we're setting up gear and says, we want to put the first set on the radio. <laughs> His name was Les Sarnoff. Jeez. He went on to have kink radio. Yeah. And uh, he said, we want to put it on the radio so people will come down to the gig. We didn't have the nerve to tell him we haven't actually played music together. <laughs> 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 so we get there. Curtis says, okay. Uh, B.B. King, key and C. Start it out. Go. So I'm supposed to be B.B. King and yeah. we go. And you're playing guitar. I'm playing guitar. All right. 
and he's singing BB King and I'm playing guitar legs. Next song I go, okay. Uh, Jimmy Reed, Kia E. Go. You started out on harmonica. And it was just goosebumps good. I mean, we were just looking at each other going, really? We had so much fun, it was just over before you knew it. And uh, we had this, we called it In Your Face, the uh -huh. band. Never took a picture, never made a recording. The band was together almost six years. It was together as long as Brown Sugar, but we never made any effort to promote it. And the whole band was unified in, in history and record collection that somebody would just say, let's do this, let's do that. Or Kurt would call a rehearsal and say, he'd bring a big pile of 45s and just play one after the other. You want to do that one? Like that one? Want to do that one? And had some little obscure stuff because he was a collector. Yeah. And I, that was one of the biggest learning times in my life. Very cool. And <laughs> never recorded? Never recorded. I can't believe we just had fun playing together. We're just happy to have a gig. You know, you live hand to mouth when you're that young. Right. And we just couldn't wait to play the next gig and learn a new song. Uh, and Kurt would do, I don't know that I would play guitar today if it wasn't for that. He would. <laughs> he had a good Memphis guitar player, Joel Foy, a really good guitar player. I had a guitar, but I didn't like think a myself. Proper a proper kind of guitar player? Hmm? Like a Steve Proper? Yes. Yeah. And, and all the little Memphis. Uh, and I loved hearing him play, and I was just crude and would just go for the throat, you know. And, and Kurt, would, I said, "Why do you have? Why? Am I, why do you want me in the band? I mean, you don't need another guitar, and you got a really good one." And he says, "You'll, you'll, you'll sting it. You'll go for the throat like that, you know." And so he'd go back to my amp and turn it while I'm playing. He turned everything on ten, and then just put his <laughs> foot up behind him. I asked, kick me. I'm gone. Go, go, go. And he just kick. Go, come on. He would actually kick you. Yeah. He just put, well, he pushed me out to the front of the stage and turn, and then go back and turn my amp up and just be yelling in the back. Come on, come on, come And you have that kind of support. You go for the throat. So, you know, it was that kind of fun all the time. It was a, like I say, it really pushed the envelope for me. So it wasn't your natural inclination to, to do that, to, to go to, to, to... I don't think I had the confidence to really lean on it unless everything had built to that standpoint. Yeah. Uh, Steve Rayvon was a friend of Curtis. Uh, he and uh, uh, Robert used to play dives in, in uh, San Francisco where you just play for the door and you'd split 30 bucks for the whole band. But there were a whole bunch of them. And... Uh, so he was telling me that he was the only guy that ever got Robert's attention. Robert wasn't afraid of anybody, but he heard Stevie and went, hmm. And St Curtis had a cassette of Stevie playing a wedding reception for 300 bucks. sounded just like he sounded when he made a record. And he said, you got to hear this guy. Um, he's opening for men at work at the uh, at the Coliseum. We were playing this club in uh, Seattle. In those days, he played five nights a week, and it was a Wednesday. And he said, let me go. Um, see if get him to come over to the club. He only plays from eight to nine, and then he's done. So he brings his friend Stevie over to play at the club. And he's got the hat on and everything, yeah. and comes and sit in. And he sat in on my amp and guitar. And Joel, that other guitar player, is talking about. Now Joel was a very timid guy and played timidly, but very good. Yeah. And he starts into Texas Flood and hands the solo over after he. Stevie played his solo. He hands it over to Joel. Joel got house, standing ovation after Stevie. Wow. Crushed, tore the place apart. <laughs> We're going, he's got the taste of blood. We knew Joel had it in him. He just yeah. didn't get 
worked up enough to uh-huh. dig in like that. And the very next night, he's back to being real shy and timid in his guitar playing. But Stevie brought that out in you. You know, you play pool with somebody that's really good, you pay more attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but those events really geared things up. You realized at what level you really need to open the gates to play if you're going to compete and be serious. Wow. So I learned that stuff then. And then Curtis one day got a call, said uh, I'd been doing my thing on Mondays at the Dandelion Pub for songwriting. Because when I wrote, I wrote more funk and soul being a drummer. I, I wanted to open up those doors. And I was writing. And uh, it didn't fit in what we were doing in Nino Face. Um, and I didn't really think about doing it other than to hear the songs and find out if I was nuts. And all of a sudden I get a... a Curtis says, oh, uh, Saturday night, he says, I got hired by Roomful of Blues to sing, so I'm going to go back east. I'm leaving tomorrow. (laughs) Oh, no band. So that's when I went full-time with the Lloyd-Jones struggle. I thought I'd do it as long as I get away with it, and I'm still getting away with it. (laughs) And Curtis has still been a really good supporter. Uh, He took me on the Legendary Blues Cruise last year Uh in October, and we played our acoustic duet, which is still... Really fun because we might not see each other for six months and then we'll go, you want to do this thing? And we go, okay. We, he asked me to fill in one time last year up in Canada and we hadn't played together for a while. And we get to this theater. It's sold out in Calgary. And he says, okay, we need to make a song list. Okay, do you know this song? Do you know that song? And I said, well, tell me about it. It goes on the internet shows me. You know this Walter song? He's got this intro. You know this intro? Let me hear it. Okay, okay. What do you want to do? And I, I said, well, you know this one? Uh, no, what key is it in? Now, we're still doing this, and it's time to play. And we don't have a song because we don't know the names of the other guy's songs. We got, Kurt says, what are we going to do? I said, well, just do whatever you want to do. Tell me the key, just whatever you want to do. And then if you want me to sing something, I will. And then just wait till it's comfortable. The very first song, yeah. we got about halfway into it, and we're just locked. You can just tell we're just connected and we're reading off and you can hear a pin drop and went, we just burst out laughing and go, this is going to be great. So it's still, like, it's still like that. And he'll, he'll show up at, at Blackwell's? Yeah. And your gig at the, at the Muddy Rudder? Yeah. 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 It's funny because if I tell people, they'll run and crowd in, but they won't just come out and support the music because um, there's so much to do. But uh you know, he Curtis came in three weeks ago, and there was like four people in the club, and he just tore it apart. Played the last two songs at Blackwell's about a month ago. He had just finished his new recording and was exhausted. Yeah. It was just visiting and said, come on, sing something. Okay. <laughs> Knocked it out of the park. Thank you. Goodbye. It was great. <laughs> yeah, Foxworth was late that night that you, when you were in Hawaii because he, he was putting a vocal on Curtis's album. Well, I was there. I covered for him because he was late, so I played solo. But it must have been another time because it was when when when, well, when Mary. Was well, then the point. next week, because I played solo, yeah. um, for the first whole set, I wound up playing by myself for like an hour, and I I didn't have an acoustic guitar, so it was kind of weird doing that finger picking on an electric guitar, and uh, that's when. I said, and I won't be here next week. Yeah. I think Dave got to thinking, and Mary Flower came in. Yes. And I was talking with her, and I think I went, well, we'll just have her do like that. Fox yes. <laughs> worth a trip, isn't he? Man, he's so brilliant. Yeah. We're rehearsing. People don't know. 
No, no, they will. They will. He's doing some stuff. Now they're going to bring back pleasure yeah. and re-record it. And I've seen video of rehearsal, and it's so serious and so good. I'm glad he's got something he can sink his teeth into because yeah. usually he's just above the material. And it's, yeah. you're going, you know, it's, it's not challenging enough material. Well, you know, they, 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 uh, uh, he's a member of Roseland Hunters now also. And, yeah, that's know. not fair. They all have <laughs> – that leader of that band has a job. That's not that's fair. <laughs> yeah, so he's got great players. It's great. Sure, but, but, and he's not even playing drums. That's right. Reinhard Mills is playing drums. Now. Yeah, I love that. It, I love and, that combination. And, and, uh, they played it at this benefit that uh, uh, Josh Baum threw for us at the Aladdin a couple of weeks ago. And because Foxworth was like freed from not being behind the kit, right? He was all over the stage. Oh, he's brilliant. All over the stage. Good, good, good. Great. It was really good. He can work it. Oh, man, he can work yeah. a room. Yeah. Yeah. I remember him years ago with. Uh, uh, rubberneck. Yeah, he was great in Rubberneck. Abs well, he he's built. He's just designed for that thing. Yeah, man, oh man, he can open it up. And Rubberneck needs somebody like that because it's it's got all that room to work. That is very cool combination. We got so much great talent in this area, and we have a good community of how people work together. Yeah, that's healthy. And from what I hear from other parts of the country, not as common. I've heard that. Yeah. I've heard the opposite, too. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it's all true, but I think we should should at least uh, be glad and proud of what we do have. Why? Are you about to start singing, be thankful for what you got? Diamond in the back, sunroof. I promise I won't sing. Singing the scene with the gangster lean. <laughs> no, that was a... <laughs> I guess I was kind of thinking about losing Linda and, and uh, yeah. Janice. Yeah. Was... You played with Janice for a long time? A long, long time. We we were really close, and uh, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> no, it, people, it's it's affected. It, 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 it's incredible uh, uh, how how her loss has affected people. Yeah. It's amazing. It's been the deepest thing. I, you know, I mean, everyone, everyone. I had Reggie Houston in here. Oh, yeah. And I hadn't talked to him for a couple of months. And uh, he walked in. And the first thing he said to me was, I'm just now beginning to breathe. I didn't know what he meant. Mm -hmm. I figured he's going to come in. We're going to bullshit. Because you ask Reggie one question, he's still talking 10 minutes later, right? <laughs> That's my Reggie. <laughs> and, and he, uh, uh, I, I, well, so I turned on the machine, and it all poured out of him. Wow. Janice. Wow, yeah, they were close. Yeah. yeah. So it's been amazing. It's been amazing. Her brilliance and compassion uh, yeah. were unsurpassed by anyone on any level. If you ever had it, if you ever came in contact with it and it was legendary how she didn't say much but she said a lot yeah. she said what needed to be said and and nothing more and you got it and you wanted to be around her again because you will grow by being in her presence yeah the first time i ever saw her i moved here in 97 yeah and there was a there was a bar downtown well it was now the pearl it was no it was nothing then <laughs> And um, and 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 it was Paul, her and Paul Belay. Oh yes. And they would sit up in a 
in a, a balcony overlooking the bar. I think the bill, you know, I think the bar's still there or something else now, but they don't have the way it was. The brew club. Yeah. And just go there and just the two of them. I wish they'd recorded that. Yeah. I love that. I introduced uh, Paul to her, and I was so glad that he got it. And he liked it. He loved playing with Janet so much that when I'd come to see him, he'd say, oh, Bubba, listen, I, I, don't be offended. I, I just don't want guitar. I, yeah. said, I didn't come here to play. I came here to listen. <laughs> it was it was fantastic. To, well, the, the thing is, when you'd play with Janet, she would embrace you in a way that would set you up, not crowd you, open up doors, leave you this, you know, set you up and leave you this big space for an opening statement or to just to place you and then embrace it in a way <laughs> the silliest little thing was spectacular in the way that she embraced it that you you just think how does she do that she reads your mind she sets you up and she takes you to a place you only dreamt of and you think and it was that way with whoever she was playing with Reggie tell you Paula tell you anyone I told I've told this before but I remember one time she and Reggie and Reinhardt and uh, Ben Jones mm -hmm. had a gig during the jazz festival at, a, at, a, at another bar in Pearl, but this was like years later when it was the Pearl and it was full of full of you know thirty-year-old you know, people who were just talking very loud, and not paying attention to the music, and I, and, and Reggie started talking about. Janice's solo album, Scott Joplin album. Yes. One of those brilliant That was her first recording ever. Yeah. Yes. One of those beautiful things ever recorded. And she started playing one of those tunes. Now, I'm in, toward the back of the club, and it's like everybody's loud, and everybody's drunk, and, and they're like, you know how in the movies, when they'll, 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 there'll be a scene in, in a crowded room with, and, and two people are talking. And, of course, they take all the other audio out so you can just hear those two people talking to each other, right? Well, that's what happened to me. All of the crowd went away, and all I could hear was her playing solo. Wow. It was like, it was amazing. It was a magic. Yeah. It's very rare when something like that happens. Yeah. Some of the memories, when I look back now, one of them, you just triggered a memory of, I backed uh, uh, Earl King for three years when he'd come on the West Coast. And so we got a reputation, and he, we got along, and we had horns, and we could do his stuff. A lot of times they'd have guitar bands that didn't really have the New Orleans feel to it, and that. Yeah. But Janice was on those gigs, oh. and I think, you know, both Earl and Janice are gone, and it was just to, just to be just to sit there and listen to those tunes being done that way and being a part of that is is treasure I get to carry. Yeah, yeah. What was Earl King like? He was the nicest person. I did, you know. I, I, at first, you're intimidated by his body of work. Yeah. You know, he wrote all these standards in New Orleans, and was a fixture. And he's a great historian and storyteller. And he would tell us stories, and you could ask him questions, and just vivid and articulate in the daytime. I made the mistake of trying to be friend with a cordial bottle of whiskey. Uh oh. He likes black velvet, so I get him some. Yeah. Right in the trash. Absolutely can't remember his name. Doesn't know where he is. He played three songs. Halfway through the third song, he's out in the audience with the guitar behind his head. This is the Yale Hotel up in Vancouver, B.C., and it's a big place. And he's out in the audience. They're loving. It. Everything's great. And he keeps going. And he goes out the front door. And he goes to his hotel room. 
And there's a line outside of people oh, waiting to come in for the big show, and he went to his room and went to sleep. So the club owner is just screaming bloody murder at me, veins sticking out, and I'm going, he went that way. You just walked. I don't know where he went, but he went that way. So the club owner goes and finds him and brings him back, and props him, and he starts in where he three songs back and does those three songs over again, not knowing he already did it. Um, and uh, so everything goes haywire, and the amp starts feeding back and, and cutting out, and the guitar is horribly out of tune at this point. And he comes, and now the amp quits working, and he wanders back up on the stage with the, you know, it, it's behind his head and stuck in his hair. And we got to get the guitar out of his hair, get everything hooked back up. And I told the band, just smile, just go along with it, just, just things are going to happen. He goes up to the microphone and says, I'm the only person who was never afraid of Guitar Slim, who had the big hit, things I used to. He said, and Guitar Slim said, one day I might have a million seller, and if I, anything should happen to me, and I find out you're playing my million seller song, I'm going to make your guitar go out of tune, your amp quit working, the things that I used to do. Paul said, anyway, that's why he's Earl King. He can dig out of any hole. But he was just charming. The next day, he was just a sweetheart of a guy. And I learned a lot of history through those days. Yeah, you know. And Janice could play it. She's from Oklahoma, and she has relatives in Louisiana as well. And, and when he heard Janice playing Big Chief or whatever, you know, it was all things were right with the world. And I'll just cherish all of that. As a matter of fact, I might mention, and I'm hoping to, to be able to make this public, but uh, we did a recording, Carlton Jackson on drums, Janice and I played acoustic guitar. We played at Mississippi Studios, and there's a little trio that we uh, we just loved to do when we could. And I found a recording of it. Wow. It's on a hard drive that Carlton had. He went and got the hard drive off the computer there at Mississippi Studio at the time, uh -huh. and I had never heard it, and I just, I just got downloaded onto a CD and got to hear it. And I like it. And I think, you know, anything we can document with, with Janice on it. put it out? Well, I'm hoping so. I've got it. I've sent it to uh, Reference Records right now to yeah. see if they'll have any interest in it. Um, and I haven't heard back yet. But uh, but I'm happy that I'm happy with it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. a good recording. And yeah. so I'm hoping in one, some fashion or another. I don't have the money to make recordings. But if yeah. maybe we can put it out digitally or this company will pick it up. Because it it is a little piece of history, really. Absolutely. And it's 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 powerful, and, and there's some spots where we just feature her that you know what that's like. Uh -huh. ah, uh -huh. So yeah. What songs? Is he? What, 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 any of the songs? No. Uh, that's my biggest challenge. Is the one that I want to feature that's, that we don't play on. We just feature her. I'm gonna have to go to Arietta or, or I go. I, she just starts in. She doesn't announce it or anything. Oh. All instrumental, and it's spectacular. And I well, it's all instrumental. Well, her her parts. Yeah. That one song she's featured on. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but no, the rest of it's just me doing Lloyd stuff. But she's, you know, she plays so well that yeah, it's worth it. Wow. And together, you know, Carlton is very similar in listening the way that Janice does, uh -huh. and you can feel that when you play with these people. The that they're connected at all times, and they'll, like I say, set you up or take you somewhere, and you just go, thank you, my oh my. That I think all players look for that kind of connection when you're playing is rare, and it was 
more often than not with that trio. So I'm glad to document it if we can get it out. So who are you using in, in your band these days? Well, a lot of uh, Rudy Draco has been with me 30 years. Yeah. And uh, Warren Rand on and off for that long. He's playing alto. Rudy playing tenor. Uh, now, I have to kind of a floating rhythm section these days because everyone's having to work with different people to stay alive. You can't just go work six nights a week in a nightclub anymore. So, uh, you know, Carlton Jackson um, on drums and Denny Bixby on bass and uh, Louis Payne is sort of the foundation. But when they have things they can't do, Ben right. Jones is on a lot of my recordings and plays bass on the last couple uh, or the last recording. And... Uh, I love working with him when I can, and so fortunately it's worked out that he can cover when Denny can't. Denny works with Quarter Flash when they work, so uh -huh. then Ben covers when he can. Uh, and drums, it's usually Carlton, but uh, Foxworth is playing these Wednesdays, and he'll do things when Carlton can't. And uh, Mike Clobus has been in, in and out of the band, and he's first call when. And, you do it. and a guy named Mark Griffith, who moved here from Florida, is a spectacular drummer. Uh, but he got a day job because, like I say, playing live music for a living is tough. Yeah. It's a struggle. Uh, yeah. 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 I've heard that. Yeah. That part hasn't changed. <laughs> but, I, you know, I, that's part of the uh, charm of it, I guess you'd say. Uh, I've I have enough options with the acoustic solo thing, and I don't have to make a living with the big band all the time. So I use that for concerts where they have a budget for it. I can go in with a quartet for the bars and still do my original material or play traditional old Piedmont stuff in the corner, like Monday nights at the Muddy Rudder, which Muddy is a uh, joy. Lauren Sheehan came in last Monday, played mandolin along with me, and, and she knows... The folk angle, right. and when you get the folk blues right. connection, right. it was fun to have her sing some tunes. And, and she used to be my neighbor. Yeah, yeah, that was a, another joyous surprise. So she I like all that. that. Album out with her daughter. Yeah. She released an album with her daughter. Yeah, yeah. She was just telling me a little bit about that. Yeah. I did. I'm just learning about her daughter. It's pretty serious. Yeah. I did a TV story on her a million years ago, and. Uh, and I shot the two of them singing in their shoes. Zoe was still in high school. Zoe's a big political reporter. In yeah, Boston. yeah, yeah. She works for the nation. Well, see, you have journalistic ties. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, what are you writing about these days? I think as I get older, I've always had a pretty strong sense of humor, but as I get older, it's getting funnier. That's good. Because you can see it coming. <laughs> a lot of stuff, when you're younger, everything's new, and it's right. seen it for the first time. Now I see it coming, and I just shake my head and go, yeah, right now it's all about your hair. Reality's going to come in, and it's going to be way down on the list real soon. But enjoy your hair right now. <laughs> just so many things that, that come up. I, uh, I've been writing about food. Food? Yeah. Food's pretty funny. Uh, but So I guess I'm not taking it quite as serious as I have in the past, but I try to mix the humor and then say something in, that, that I think is important mm -hmm. in there too. So I just have a pile of stuff that has been falling out over the last year or so that I'm really pretty excited about. I like storytelling just in the, the nature of it. Mm -hmm. I've got a, one right now called Chevrolet Angels, just about something unforeseen changing your life and uh, the way it just fell out. Sometimes 
when you don't work at it, it's just, you go, what was that? But uh, I never thought my angel would show up on a highway riding in a Chevrolet. And there she was, windblown from having the top down, stop just to save the day. I had two flat tires and a busted rim. She had a skin-tight sweater and a nasty grin. I knew right then my luck was about to change. <laughs> this kind of sets up the, the fun stories. So that's a taste of the Chevrolet Angel. But I've got a ballad I'm really excited about. It's just a good soul ballad that I think has a, a good strong statement. And the way it came together musically was easy. And I want it modulates and has cool chord changes and it's you know it's it's stable. So I'm going well. I just can't wait. Some of them I'd like to hear someone else record. When I do this, I'm going. Yeah. I want to hear Jimmy Hall sing this. I uh -huh. want to hear so and so do that. Uh -huh. So I'll try to document it and then try to sell it. <laughs> And you never know what's going to come out. Yeah. You just don't. You don't ever know what's going to come out. So from trying to hustle all the different gigs and playing solo and stuff and keep up in shape and all the different ways of playing and writing and keeping gigs coming in, I may not be rich, but I'm really busy. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's funny. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day about, you know, you sit down to work on something and you just don't know. Yeah. It's a mystery. Just go to it, kind it's, of. It's, 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 you, you, that happens every time you, you, you pick up the guitar. Yeah. It's different for people who are not musicians who are creative in other ways. Yeah. But it's really true. You know, every time, every time I sit down in front of the keyboard, I don't know what's coming. The keyboard, the, uh, the computer, I don't know what's going to come out. And right in the middle of it, something will happen right outside that door that makes you see what you're working on completely different going. You know, I never thought of it on that level. And then you go back, it throws you back into it yeah. with another dimension. So, yeah. yay, ain't that the fun of living? Yeah. It's nice when something comes out that you like. Yeah. And you don't know where it came from. That's, yeah. a, that's the best. No. No. Where did that come from? No. It's even better if you make yourself laugh. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, that's real good. I've done that. I know. Or, and what's really cool is you go back... You, you, I, I'm sure you keep things around as I, you know. I go back and, and, and look at something I wrote 20 years ago, and it'll make me laugh. I forgot all about it. I forgot. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, it stands the test of time. That's really good. Yeah. I had somebody come up and ask me. You laughed at something, you know, that you forgot something you forgot about. Yeah. This happened to me last night. I read this piece. I was, they, uh, Dark and Dusty uh, asked me to, to uh, and some other people to come out to Star Day Tavern. And because they were going to have some readings, there were some poets and some writers and some singers and stuff. And I figured, hey, you know, I haven't read anything from my rabid non-tabloid book for a long time. So I went out there and I and I did, and I forgot how fucked up the story was. <laughs> it was a funny story. It was a grandma turns pet dog inside out looking for a lost lottery ticket. It's really fucked up, but it's very very funny. I got big laughs, but I had forgotten. I mean, and I didn't, I didn't reread it. I just like picked it up, opened the book cold, right? Mm -hmm. And since I write in my own voice, you know, it came out. And I had, I was reading this thing, and 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 I'm thinking as I'm reading it, holy shit, did I really write that? Fuck, this is like, this is this is some sick shit. That, that was, was the really other funny. you, yeah. Yeah, it's really funny, you know. And, and I, you know, then I read, and I was talking to somebody, and you remember, uh, and I remember when when when. When Dylan's autobiography came out, and he did a lot of interviews, 
And he said in one interview, I couldn't write that stuff again. And I'm not saying I'm dealing with anything else like that, but I couldn't write that stuff again either. No, I've had that experience. That, yeah. that happens more later on. Yeah. That's a recording. I think it might have been the Blues Festival. There's another one from uh, um, There's a place called Emperor's Chambers. When our dandelion went away, we moved it there for about a year. Yeah. We're a little place. And uh, I didn't know that we recorded. Sometimes we recorded there. And Glenn Holson, this great keyboard player, had written a, uh, an instrumental, funk instrumental. And uh, it's great. Uh, and I don't know if he remembered that, so I took it to him. And he going, who is that? I said, well, uh, what do you mean, who is that? <laughs> no, on keyboards. I said, Glenn, not only is it you, you wrote the song. <laughs> really? Let me hear it again. And he said, I couldn't do that now. Yeah. Same as what you're right. saying. Right. So keep active because you never know how it's, yeah. later on you're going to go back and go, wow, I've been, I didn't know I could do that. <laughs> you do not ever know. Yeah. Always, always push yourself. Yeah. I might go back and, and make a, an audio book out of that. Yeah. Because the jokes are still – that's the thing. When, 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 the, when the stuff holds up and people are still laughing, well, well, well you know. I think I'm going to write, uh, start putting the little short stories of, like we we're saying, being able to yeah. have these opportunities to play. Yeah. You know, I spent time playing with Big Mama Thornton, and there was a person in Europe was writing a book, and yeah. and found out that I'd worked with her and asked some stories about playing with Big Mama, and then uh, and I thought in the Earl Kings, I got a million Earl King stuff, Charlie Musselwhite, all these things. There is a video on YouTube of Big Mama Thornton playing here in Portland. And I don't know that. Do you, have you have you ever seen it? I wonder if you're on it. When I played, it was a place out on 160th and Division uh -huh. called D Street Corral. Yeah. Uh, one of the first pleasure gigs was out there. Brown Sugar and Pleasure right. together. Uh, what was it like working with Big Mama Thorne? Well, it was fun. She was a she just had a ball. And one of the reasons was we played with we backed. Uh, no, we didn't back. We went out and played to just to learn. Yeah. Uh, George Smith was playing out there. It was a great uh, room. It had a big stage, nice big stage, the curtains and everything, and then a big dance floor down the middle and tables and chairs on either side, like a big dinner club. Johnny Otis show. We played with Johnny o, open for Johnny Otis show Jeez. there for a week, and. Uh, and you know who the sound guy was? The sound guy was D.K. Stewart, and his <laughs> helper was Curtis, which I also didn't find out until just about two years ago. And Curtis said it, but Paul yelled at him because harmonica fed back, and he was afraid of both of us for years <laughs> when we were kids, which I never knew. But I remember playing uh, that gig. I think that was one night, and then we played up in Kelso. Then that we were for a week, we went to see uh, George Smith. Every night, and George would let us come over to the hotel and tell us stories about playing with Muddy Waters, and, and uh, he'd make a big pot of beans, and we'd bring Tom Miller brought a big upright bass, and we'd bring gear over and sit in his hotel room, and he'd feed us, and we'd play, and he'd tell us stories in Chicago. That was our college. Yeah. So we did this every day, all week, and went and saw George every week, and he's just powerful, great. And George and Big Mama were friends. The next week, we're there at the same club, but we're the band, and we're backing Big Mama Thornton. Yeah. And uh, George Smith was going up to Bellingham, and his uh, got there. The club's closed. Oh. So he had a week off. He came back and decided to just check back into that hotel and come hang 
see what we're doing. So he came in at our gig every night. Wow. And he kept on the, come up on the bandstand and, and then he'd go, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, this is not my gig. I, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to bother you. He'd go sit down. And finally we say, oh, come on. Well, let me play drums. So George comes up and gets on the drums. Big Mama goes back. And I didn't know they were friends. And they yeah. start going at it. Oh, what the hell are you getting on my bandstand? You get, give me. She goes back and she grabs the sticks from him and puts her hand in his chest and just gives him a forearm like that off the drums. And she climbs on the drums with the sticks with her chin up high. I'll show you how to play the drums. My gig. And she, they were having a ball. They were just having a we, – we thought, oh, no, all hell's broke loose. So we just call a tune, and she'd be back there hitting the drums. So he'd go up and start to sing, and she, then she'd go, what? And they went around and around about whose gig it was for all night and just made it a hoot. So they were great fun. They shared their music with you know young white players and uh, – that's how we learned. And later on, the magazines and the ladies, you, you have no right playing this music. And I said, well, all the people, we back, Big Walter came out here, didn't have a band. And we back him and, and we'd go play all afternoon uh -huh. to learn the songs. And, but he would just play, drink a big gallon of red wine and do the bump. He'd want to dance while, oh, wow. while we're playing. <laughs> and uh, they were just loved that their music had reached this far yeah. and that we were interested and they wanted to show us how to you know, use that open string and play it. That's how it sounds like on the record. Why it sounds like that? Because play in this position right here. Hold this position. And we're teaching us and we're, I thought, well, now wait a minute. The people who invented this style and, and showed us and wanted to show us and wanted us to play it, keep it alive. S.B. Leary stayed at my house. Drummer played Muddy and everybody and said, uh, you got to keep this alive. We're not going to make it out here again. Yeah. So we thought it was our duty. We had This was our responsibility. You yeah. know? And, uh, and then when you go to play it, it's like, you know, you have no business doing this. <laughs> well, who gave you the power to tell me what to do? But uh, now I cherish all these memories, relationships, and, and uh yeah, I put a smile on my face. Like you say, I'll burst out laughing for no reason because I'll be thinking something somebody said or, or what uh -huh. I learned or how I learned this thing. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Oh, man. man. Now you're the old guy. Now I'm the old guy. As a matter of fact, I'm talking to a festival last week, and they start in. They sent me five pages of nothing referring to the gig. And I realized I used to be the kid going, yes, sir, right away, sir. I'll like, sir, be right on prompt. Shoes shine, 9 o'clock, yes, sir. Now I'm going, now wait a minute. I know you're half my age, and I know I have more experience at this. But you've left a couple things out on the contract that are kind of important, like the address, <laughs> the playing time, the hotel. I don't care what size the poster is. I don't care how many steps there are. I mean, they it was this yeah. corporate thing that did was used for something else and they just used it. So I said, well, you know, if you want me to be on time, you got to tell me what time. And so now I realize I, I do know what I'm doing. Okay. Okay. Good. And it's more fun in that way too. You know, now I go up there to have a good time. Don't worry about all the details. Well, that's good. That's good. Good. Yeah. It's a shame you're not going to be around for the blues festival, but you're going to be having a great time. I will, and I'll be back. I'll be back. I'll, I'll have all new. I'll have new stuff for next year, uh, and experience and great long stories to tell. I want to do your show when I come back, so we can yeah. have some road stories for you. Yeah, yeah. 
I'll take pictures. <laughs> I keep forgetting to do that. Oh, by the way, happy birthday. Well, thank you. I'm older than I've ever been. Yeah, me too. I had so much fun, though, I'm thinking of doing it more often. No, man, because no? you're even older. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'll do it half. Okay, I'll do it half as often. Like when you're when 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 you're when you're ten years old, I'm ten and a half. That's right. Ten and a half. I'm a thousand and three quarters. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Well, hey, thanks a lot. Thanks well, a thank lot. you for inviting me. I don't know if it was just nonsense babbling, but I like I say, I hope to have this recording with Janice available at some point, and yeah. I and I have yeah. I'm trying to find a. a a way to make new recording of my new songs that I have, but it's yeah. it's so expensive to make a recording, and they're not buying the CDs. So would that would they be with your band or are they solo kind of things? Yes. <laughs> I'm gonna, I plan to do both. I've got some. I've also just finished a, a video of five songs solo acoustic thing. Really? Um, that was done through a Guitar Center is where they did it. And when is that? I don't know details like that, but I just got a call yesterday that they're getting them edited down and they'll be out, so I'll have new stuff. And I haven't seen them, so I've had all this, oh. <laughs> this fear. I see things go out on the internet and go, oh, please, no, 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 go, no. What'd you play? Show me first. I just solo acoustic guitar, but I don't usually, I didn't write in that way early on. Yeah. Now, as I get older and I'm doing more of that, I'm going to have to start writing in that style. All right. And it's been an exercise, so I purposely wrote five tunes for this thing, ah. and uh, which I haven't played out, and so I'd like to see them first, but, uh, yeah, but it's done. <laughs> and I had fun doing it. I brought uh, uh, Mitch Cashmere now lives here, fantastic uh -huh. singer and harmonica player who moved to Portland, played with War for a long time, uh -huh. and uh, uh, just a spectacular player. So I have him join me on one song, and it's and uh, then there's another guy that just moved here from Los Angeles. Uh, Mark Shark is his name. He specializes in open tunings. Yeah. Plays all kinds of you know, mandolin and and Mark Shark. Mark Shark. Now he played with. He's really interesting and a great player. So I have him play mandolin on one of the songs along with me. But he plays incredibly great slide. Has a book on open tunings. Play wow. with with Terry Evans when Ry Cooter didn't. And uh play with Teresa James, who's going to be here tomorrow night. Uh, and he just came and sat in, and I went, who are you? And he said, well, he just moved here. We've been getting along great. I want to tell the whole community about Mark Shark. Mark Shark. Get, get you to hear him when you can. But he also grew up playing with Jesse Ed Davis. And that's so if you like Jesse Ed and, and Ry Cooter, that's the kind of style he's in. And a real treat. And in our community. Man. We're doing good. Good. Yeah. Good. All right, man. Have a great trip. I promise. Yeah.